So I'm kind of curious, maybe we can talk about this later, don't answer out loud. Do you have plans this summer? You got big plans? Ed Ed here, he's got got big plans, don't you, Ed? Ed, Ed's getting married at 4 o'clock, so you might want to... Would you clap when you hear some? Yeah, yeah, that's how that works. I'm learning him up on this. Yeah, he's getting married at four o'clock, and uh, and his bride to be, I think, is getting all fancied up right now, and uh, so that's what Ed's doing, and so he'll be a newlywed, <laughs> be a newlywed this summer, and and Ed and Sunday will soon follow the Lord in baptism right here at Bethel. We're pretty pretty excited about that. What are your plans this summer? You got any? You got any cool plans, got any trips uh, in mind? I have a plan. Do you want to hear about it? Okay, then I will tell you. I, I am, uh, I'm new to the area, and we bought this little farmhouse, and I intend to spend as much time there as I can. I'm going to pastor the church here, uh, take good care of you, uh, pray for you, preach to you, get to know you, uh, try to inspire people to do good things, and spend as much time as I can watching birds from my back porch. Uh, I do have one week of summer camp up at Camp Barakal. I always look forward to that. So I'll get to do that. That's, that mine is pretty simple. I read about a guy um, whose name was uh, Edgar DeWitt. And he was a writer. He was a pastor. And he was a writer. And he wrote some significant books about preaching. One of the books that Edgar DeWitt wrote about preaching, it was called The Royalty of the Pulpit. Bit of a pretentious title, don't you think? The Royalty of the Pulpit. Uh, but the book was about the Yale lectures on preaching. And so he did, the book is the history of the Yale lectures on preaching. And some of the most famous preaching about preaching is the Yale lectures on preaching. And he wrote a book about that called The Royalty of the Pulpit. I bought this book, and when I opened it, it immediately captured my attention. I want to read to you the introduction to the book. I know it sounds boring, but it isn't. Um, he says this, I shall long remember the summer of 1948 in Pentwater, Michigan, where I summered with my family. To be sure, one cannot easily forget the wonder of those million-dollar sunsets that we were privileged to see from our cottage every night, or the whispering of the wind in the pine trees that nightly soothed us to sleep. But the circumstance that made this particular summer so unforgettable was the fact that I took 67 volumes of the Lyman Beecher lectures on preaching with me, and I read them every one in preparation for this book. Now, I'm going to continue to read a little essay about this I wrote a few years ago. I've been to Pentwater. It's a lovely little west coast of Michigan town. Mr. Jones and his family summered in beautiful Pentwater, Michigan on Snug Harbor almost 60 years ago. They walked the dog in the evening. They watched the sunsets over Lake Michigan. They lay still at night and they listened to the wind in the pines. And in that context, Mr. Jones read over 60 books on preaching. Every book contained a set of annual lectures on preaching given at Yale. And then he wrote The Royalty of the Pulpit. What's idea of an ideal way to spend a summer or part of a summer. I have an active imagination, so I can think of almost unlimited ways. I could hike pictured rocks or Isle Royale with my sons or take in the wide views of Lake Superior. I could tour Scotland and relive the stories of the brave covenanters. Or I could take my daughters to Prince Edward Island. I could bike around Mackinac Island in the company of my wife. These, of course, assume that I had unlimited time and unlimited financial resources. 
But when I think of good ways to spend a summer, it's hard for me to imagine a way to improve on the way that Mr. Jones spent the summer of 1948, 60 books on preaching on Snug Harbor in Pentwater, Michigan. You have plans this summer? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, I'm planning not to read 60 books. I know you're thinking that. I'm going to watch a couple YouTube videos, and that's going to be it on my education uh, this summer. Maybe if you're a reader, that appeals to you. How are you going to spend your summer? I've been, I've been thinking about you, and it's almost summer. The way I look at summer is the right way to look at summer. It's May, June, and July. Now you know. Uh, May, June, and July. That's summer. That's preacher summer. May, June, and July. Well, I, I, I'm sorry. What, what did I just say? June, July, and August. Yeah. You're looking at me like, May, June, and July. That's really... No, the Wallach of Summer is, is June, July, and August. So when, we, so when we come to the end of May, what happens in the, in, the, in the church life is that this is the last week before Memorial Day weekend, and then Memorial Day weekend is kind of unique in the life of a church. You know, folk have opportunity to visit sometimes uh, other places and, and gather bulletins from other churches where they attend and bring back great ideas uh, back to their church if they're away or take in maybe a summer Bible conference or a, or a vacation away or some special time with a family. And, and then it's kind of like back to work there in September. Uh, and, and so that's a little different. It's kind of a seam of the year. And so I've been thinking about you. I've been, it made me think about a, a, a man who had a very interesting story. He was born in a really difficult time and in a really difficult place in poverty. But he didn't live in poverty because he was adopted into a family that had a lot of money, wealth, privilege, and power. Could have done anything he wanted to do, but he decided to live very simply. He was a good man, but he wasn't perfect. Matter of fact, he was, uh, he was a powerful leader. He wrote probably the world's most popular book ever on leadership. But he wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect by any stretch. As a matter of fact, he's like a lot of us. His strength was his weakness. Uh, he, was, uh, he was especially galled at injustice. And one day when he saw an incident, uh, incident of injustice, he actually took a man's life. And then after he took his life, he he hid the evidence, and he, was, uh, he ran away from the law for years and years. And you would think that God would be done with a person like that, and that he would never use a murderer who hid his, the evidence of his murder, but if you think that, you would be wrong. Because God actually called this unlikely leader, and God actually met with this unlikely leader, and he met with him face to face. And for hundreds and hundreds of years even for thousands of years people would say this man met with god face to face and moses i said is his name he wrote the book on leadership the pentateuch about one of the greatest feats of leadership anyone ever accomplished included in the canon of scripture a bestseller year after year after year if you want to study leadership you want to study moses but the pentateuch isn't the oldest thing that moses wrote Moses is actually wrote a psalm that's thousands of years old. The psalm of Moses is in Psalm 90. And so today what I have chosen this text to help you think about June and July and August. And for you to have the sweetest June, July, and August maybe that you've ever had in your life. I covet for you a very meaningful summer. I covet for you 
a summer that really matters. And I hope that you can do things that you remember for a long time with joy and things that really last. That's why I'm going to take you to Psalm 90 and we're going to study the prayer of Moses. So let's read it together. It's says Psalm 90. I read from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Psalm 90. Prayer of Moses, a man of God or a man who speaks for God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalm 90, verse 3. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that's renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble, and and they are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger, your wrath, according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish The work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Okay, let's pray. And Lord, we thank you for what, that you you took Moses, even though he was unworthy, and you used him in a powerful, even an eternal way. And I thank you for the wisdom that you've given us in your word through your servant Moses. And I pray that as we apply it to our life, into the life of our church, into the lives of our families and individuals, that there would be that you would establish the work of our hands forever. In Jesus' name, amen. So the, the inscription is, is, is Moses, a man of God, could also have been rendered a man who speaks for God. And you can imagine why. If you met with God face to face, and the evidence that you met with God face to face was on your countenance for a long time after that you would talk about that all your life people would ask you so what was it like to meet with god what did you find out about god when you met with god moses when you met with god did you find anything out about us about life did you untangle the mysteries of life and then everyone would get quiet while the fire burned to embers and moses would speak of his experience of meeting god face to face He writes it in the Bible. It's in the Bible, in the psalm, a prayer that comes out of this. And Moses says, this is what I know about God. You have been our dwelling place for all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. 
One of the things that Moses says as a mouthpiece of God is that God is everlasting, never had a beginning. He will never have an end. He's Lord over time. He created it. And he's the source that all human beings go to. So the eternal source that all human beings go to is God. And then you might ask Moses, so God is eternal and he's the source that all human beings flow to. Moses, what did you find out about man? Then he would say, you return man to dust and say, return, O children, a thousand years in your sight. And then he gives five different ways of describing how God sees time. Specifically, he says five different ways of describing how God sees 1,000 years. And in essence, what is Moses going to say? God is forever, and your human life on earth is not forever. God is the eternal source to which all beings go, and you are a being. And, and your life, you should see your life on earth as brief. Because God, who knows everything, sees your life on earth as brief. And just look at the poetry here. Verse 4, a thousand years in your sight are as yesterday when it was past. Boy, yesterday went by fast, didn't it? It was just here, and it was gone. Unless you're an elder in the church and you get up real early, then it's an especially long day. But other than that, it's here and gone. Yesterday was fat. Or, or even a shorter period of time, he says, a thousand years in God's eyes is like yesterday when it's past. Or a thousand years in God's eyes is like a watch in the night, just a few hours in the night. A thousand years, a millennium, is like a watch in the night to God who sees things the way they really are. And that's what Moses said, who knew God and knew something about human beings because he met with God face to face. He also said, a thousand years to God is like a flood, like a swift flood. In the Middle East, a, flood, a flash flood is a powerful, dangerous thing that comes almost without warning. And did a few uh, Jewish young people just a few weeks ago, a dozen or so of them, immediately is swept away in, in bright young people, swept away in a flash flood in Israel. And this is the context in the Bible, like a, like a sudden disaster. A thousand years is like a flood to God who sees things the way they really are. He said, a thousand years to God is like yesterday, like a watch in the night, like a flood. It's like, like a dream, a little fleeting, you know, a few thoughts that you have in, in your sleep that you either want to stop or you want to continue. That's what life is like to God who knows the way things really are our life is like one of those little dreams you have in the night. And then he said, or oh, it's like grass. Anybody here have any experience with uh, cutting the grass? I was going to say grass, but then I knew your mind would go where it doesn't belong. You have any experience with grass is what I was going to say, but I'm not going to say that in church because if you do, you shouldn't say in church. Anyway, if you have experience with cutting the grass, can we edit the tape, right? Cutting the grass. You notice it grows again. You cut it down, it, it dries out, and then it grows again. A thousand years is like the grass that got cut down in your yard. In the morning it flourishes, in renewed, and then in the evening it fades, and it withers. Moses in his prayer is going to come back to this, but so far this is kind of depressing. God is forever. Your life on earth is short and it's going to get worse. Because not only is he, this is what Moses is going to say three things about human life. He's going to say life is short. And then he's going to say life is sinful. 
And then he's going to say life is sad. That's what he's going to say. Let's read it. Verse 7. We are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Moses says this is what we know about God. He's holy. And this is what we know about man. He's not holy. And in the, in the, in the countenance and presence of God, this is a problem. God is eternal. I am not eternal. God is holy. I am not holy. This is the essence of what's true about God and man, right? Moses is laying it out for us right here. He says, life is short and filled with sin, and your sin is not hid from the presence of a holy God, and his, and his wrath is on you. This is true. This is a very consistent, his just, righteous wrath. Think about, think about it like this. There are certain sins that should make decent people angry. Amen? There are certain sins that should make all decent people angry. Righteous indignation, yes. And God is righteous and and just and has just anger, just wrath against sin. And what sins are those? Anything less than his holy character deserves the full weight of his wrath. This is what Moses who met with God tells us, and this is consistent with the rest of Scripture. And as a result of that, there's sorrow, there's sadness, there's brokenness. Even if you're having a good patch right now, you're going you're gonna to have some trouble. Your new car's going to wear out. Your perfect wife, you're going to find a couple of you know, flaws in her, right? Your kids who are perfect, you're going to find out that they were pretty perfect at hiding things that weren't perfect from you. It's just gonna, you're going to find that out. And it, this is the way Moses says it. For all our days pass away under your wrath, and we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but full of what? Toil and trouble. We that are glass-half-full kind of people don't like to talk about it that way, but it's true. And the glass-half-empty people are going, "Mm mm-hmm. That's what I said. That's what I always said. Yeah. So, so it's, it's like the world is full of beautiful things because it was created by God. And the world is full of delightful things because it was conceived of by a delightful God. But because we violated his ways and insisted on our own way, we broke what was so beautiful. And what's beautiful is broken. And so you see the beauty and you see the brokenness right in the world, right together. And if you're having a good day, you know, truth is, you're going to have a bad day soon. And, and Moses says that's what life is like. And then he goes back to that theme on anger in verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you. There you go. So he sets it up like this. God is eternal, and he's the eternal source for all human beings. But we have a problem because we're we're created by God, and we violated God's law. We sinned against God, and our sins are evident to God, and God's wrath is on us because of our sins. So what should we do? Here's what I believe. The heart of the psalm is in verse 12. The heart of the prayer of Moses is verse 12. I believe that it all goes to verse 12, and it all flows away from verse 12. In other words, the question arises in verses 1 through 11, hey, we're in trouble with God. What should we do about this condition that we're in? And then verse 12 is the heart of it. And then from verse 13 on to verse 17, you have the five results, five things that happen when you do what you're supposed to do, which is listed in verse 12. Here's what I'm getting at. This summer, I want to challenge you 
to have the best summer of your life with God by praying the prayer of Moses that we're about to look at in verse 12. If you will agree with me that you over and over again when you get up in the morning and you hear the bird song and you see the sunrise and on a good day, if you smell the bacon fry and you say, you pray the prayer of Moses. And, and while you're out there and you're working in your garden, you pray the prayer of Moses. And while you're going on your vacation and you're trying to cram all that fun into one week, that you, you pray the prayer of Moses. So when you're going off to work, you pray the prayer of Moses. Here's what I believe. The likelihood is if from your deepest part of your heart, you pray and you mean the prayer of Moses, God will help you see life the way God sees life and he will buffer the pain of this life and will bring you much joy and, 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 and other things, five other things we're gonna see in verses 12 through 17. Are you ready to continue? So ask me the question, so what is the prayer of Moses? What is the prayer of Moses? Yes. Well, it's in verse 12, like I said. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I heard a teacher one time say this. Wisdom is seeing life the way God sees life. Wisdom is seeing life through God's point of view. And God's will is exactly what you would choose if you could see the future, if you had wisdom, and you could see life from God's point of view. And Moses says, Moses who met with God, and Moses who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, who wrote the book on leadership, who though he was not perfect, was powerfully used of God, says something powerful happens when you realize that life is short. Just to realize that life is short has a powerful effect. A mitigating effect that kind of pushes back against the, the harmful things that we just read about, our tension between us and God. It's helpful for us to think in terms of have an eternal perspective on things, to, to number our days, to recognize that the days of our life on earth like we know it now, not the new earth that we return to, but the, the days of our life on earth that like we know them now is, good, is short, even if it's longer than others. This is a profound thing. You've heard of the prayer of Jabez. This is the prayer of Moses. Teach us to number our days. You, 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 you probably are thinking, what, what does that look like? Well, imagine a young mother with a little girl, let's say, and uh, her little girl, she has to work hard to keep that little girl from being her whole world. She shops for that little girl. She, she reads stories to that little girl. She, that little girl is the apple of her eye. She loves that little girl. And the little girl grows up way too fast. And one day, this big, yellow, frightening, truck-like thing stops in front of the house and swallows that little girl up into its bowels. There's a happy way to look at the public school bus, right? <laughs> public school teachers right there going, mm-hmm. There's a school bus stops, and she gets up into that bus. And mom watches that bus go away and thinks, wow, that happened so fast. But then she thinks, she turns back, and she makes a pot of tea. She gets out her Bible. And she sits down, and she reads her Bible, and she prays the prayer of Moses. God, 
help me to realize how fast my life is going by so that I will see life the way you see life. And that night when the bus comes back and that little girl gets off the bus, Mama's made some cookies and they sit down and they have a nice long talk. Because Mom prayed the prayer of Moses, she knows that that little girl is going to grow up and go away real soon. That's what it looks like to pray the prayer of Moses. Or it might look like this. You have a couple and they're, they're, uh, they're empty nesters and they think, how can I influence my kids for good from a distance now? How can I influence my grandkids? Well, I don't really have control over them. Can't tell them what to do or how to dress, but I so want them to know my God. I so want them to love my God. God, and they lay there in their bed at night, and they say, okay. They pray the prayer of Moses together as they lay there in their bed. And they say, Lord, we know we only have a few years left to, make a, 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 to leave a legacy, a godly legacy for our kids. So we're going to pay their way to summer camp. We're going to buy their homeschool curriculum. We're going we're to pay for their dance lessons, and we're going to go to every recital, and we're going to take pictures, and we're going to hang on their every word. We're going to influence those kids for God. That's what happens, you know, when you, when you pray the prayer of Moses and you realize how short life is, then what happens? You, you see life from God's point of view. You have wisdom. See life the way God sees life. That's what it looks like. Or it might look like, might look like this, like, like the man who had, he's kind of underemployed. You know, all of his stuff didn't run well. His cars were always in disrepair. He never could get ahead of that. And his little boy was going to play baseball in the spring, and so he took his rattly old car, and he got away from work as quick as he could, and he drove as fast as he could legally get away with it so that when he got there, that little boy with the little white uniform that never got slide marks on it, who was jogging out to right field, would be able to turn around and say, Hi, Dad. And Dad would lean on the fence, and he would watch every pitch of the ball, praying that somebody would hit the ball to right field and that his boy would perform a miracle and catch the ball. (laughs) And then he would strike out over and over again, and hang his little head, and then get in the car, and dad would take him to celebrate, and get him a hot dog and ice cream and munch on the hot dog and tell him what a great kid he was and how often he struck out. And then he'd take him home and tuck him in bed, kneel down by his bed, pray with him, go back to his room, and he would remember that there was going to be a time when that little boy doesn't live in the next room anymore. And he prays the prayer of Moses. God, help me to understand these times that I have are precious and rare and short. And to seize the day and to take advantage of it. When the, when the man prays the prayer of Moses, then what happens is he sees life from God's point of view. The man feels like a loser. His cars aren't late model. His job is plain. He has a neighbor who's a doctor, a dentist actually. And this guy, he has ratty old golf clubs and he just, when he goes golfing, he sprays the ball around. But when, but when his neighbor, the, the dentist, goes golfing, he hits them all straight. He has expensive car and expensive clubs. And, and he's out one night at the 
driving range and he's spraying balls around at the driving range. And in comes that BMW, the doctor, the dentist that lives next door, drives in with his, his Beamer and he gets his investment cast golf clubs out and he walks over and he starts hitting the ball wherever he wants to hit it. And after a while, true story. The, the doctor puts his clubs in his bag and he walks over to that guy and he says to him, I've been watching you and I've been watching your kids. You have a beautiful family. Can you explain to me how that works? And that man had an answer because he prayed the prayer of Moses. Because he realized his days were numbered. His life on earth was short. Moses promised good things would happen if we pray the prayer of Moses. They're so beautiful. There are five of them in verses 13 through 17. The first one is that if we number our days and we have a heart of wisdom, or if we see that our life is short so that we look at life the way God does, then God will give us gladness or joy in the midst of whatever sorrow we have to face. That's what it says in verses 13 through 15. Return, O Lord, how long? And have pity on your servants. And satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days, and make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. God, you are able to take blessing and poured into a broken life. That's what he's saying. When you pray the prayer of Moses, God will give you gladness even when you're going through things that really are breaking your heart. The second thing, you see it in verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants. When you pray the prayer of Moses and you have an eternal perspective, then you see the hand of God at work around you. That's what, that's what he means by that phrase. Let your work be shown to your servants. Help me to be the kind of guy that can tell when God is at work in my world around me. When God is at work on my neighbor's heart. Can I just tell you this? One of the things that you could do this summer, if you haven't already done this, is be very, very diligent to have an accounting of all the people in your life, especially your neighbors. Get their names, all of their names. And then after you get their names, then gather their stories and care about their stories. And after you get their names, and after you gather their stories, and you can do this quietly out in the backyard or by taking a gift over or by inviting them over to cook out, get their stories. Then sincerely pray for them regularly, if not every day. Every time you see them, think about this. I like to think this. The people that I, I moved away from Riverview, and when I moved away, I, I, I had a talk with the Lord, and I said, Lord, you know I did everything I could to try to tell all the people that live around me about you. And I tried to live for you in front of them, and I tried to tell them about you. I, you know, all my neighbors aren't going to get saved, but I, I ought to be able to say none of my neighbors can go to hell without crawling over my, de- my body, right? Without, without, without crawling over me. If they want to go out into eternity without God, then they're going to have to resist my love and my prayers for them. They're going to have to overcome my efforts to tell them about Jesus Christ and to win them. And whoever else God you know, brings into your life. And you see the hand of God. You see that? You see people that recognize. There are people that just, what I'm saying is there are people, many of us, who just kind of blindly stumble through life, not realizing that God is continuously at work all around us, all the time, doing awesome, godly things 
and he would allow us to participate with him if we had the good sense to recognize what he was doing. And the way to get that good sense is to pray the prayer of Moses so that you have an eternal perspective, so that you see life from God's point of view, so that you recognize what God is doing all around you, and you participate in it, and then your life gets exciting. Even in a broken world, it makes sense of a broken world. And the third thing that happens is a powerful and beautiful thing that many of us pray for, and that is there in verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. I want my kids to know the glories of God. I want my kids and my grandkids, I don't want them just to follow suit. Dad was a Baptist. I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. No. I want them to see the glory of God. I want them to know the one, you know, who created the Great Lakes, who created the the sun and the moon and stars, who loves them and broods over their life with with a loving father's care, right? I want them to see the glory of God. How How do you influence your children and your grandchildren? One of the ways is for you to pray the prayer of Moses, to have an eternal perspective, to see things the way God sees things. And then, verse 17, the fourth thing, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. That would be Moses kind of autobiographical reference. I went and I met with God, and then for the rest of my life, everybody went, he's the guy that met with God. By the way, this is the, this is the essence of our witness. Is, is there evidence of God on you? Do you glow with evidence that you have intimacy with God? Is there any evidence to your kids, men? Is there evidence to your sons and daughters? Is there evidence to your wife that you walk with God and you have an intimacy with God that actually makes your, your, your character glow with Christ-likeness. There ought to be that. This is the blessing that comes when we number our days and we see life the way God sees life. Then we have intimacy with God and our children see the glory of God on us. They should see the glory of God in the world and this is what happens. And then finally, you establish the work of our hands and it's repeated, yes, Lord, establish, so let the, let the uh, favor of the Lord be upon us. The, the, the beauty of God, the glory of God, evidence that we know God, this happens. In, in the scriptures, by the way, if you read Genesis, and you just start reading Genesis, the stories, over and over again, it's God bless them, God bless them, God bless them, but that's not all that it says. And it says that pagans could see that God blessed them. People who don't necessarily have regard for God go, huh, like the dentist that walked over to the fella that felt like a loser that night and said, I've been watching your family and I so want my kids to love their mom and dad like your kids love their mom and dad. How did you do that? There's evidence of the favor of God on your life. How do you get that? Very simple. Pray the prayer of Moses. Remember that life is short. So you have the heart of God so that you have the mind of God and then finally he establishes the work of our hands. Why did, I, why did I pick this beautiful psalm? I'll tell you a little story. So years ago, uh, it was Memorial Day weekend, and uh, all of our kids were little. And on Memorial Day weekend, uh, we had a picnic. And then the Memorial Day, we had a picnic. 
And then that night, I, I came home and went into my room, and I opened up my journal, and I wrote about the day. And we had, uh, had a picnic with some family members, and it was a beautiful summer-like day. And, and in my journal then, I wrote down some things I was going to do that summer. And I just made a little list of things I wanted to do. They weren't like big things. They were, they were all, they were, most of them were just little things. Looking forward to sweet corn with butter dripping off of it and looking forward to seeing some sunsets over the lake and looking forward to teaching one of my girls to ride her bike. Just stuff that I was going to do that summer. And then that summer went away so fast. And I found myself in the same room again writing in my journal on Labor Day after the day was gone. I opened up my journal and I started to write my little journal entry for Labor Day. And when I thought about that, I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, didn't I, didn't I write down some stuff on Memorial Day? Yes, I did. So I went back in my journal to Memorial Day, and what a shock it was to realize how fast that summer had gone, and there were some of those things that I didn't put on the list that I got to do, and some of those things that were on the list I didn't get to do. The shock was the time between Memorial Day and Labor Day passes really fast. And here's what I wish for you and why I picked this text this week. Can I just say it like this? This summer, don't take a vacation from God. Take a vacation with God. And pray the prayer of Moses. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to you for your word, solace, the comfort, the help it gives us when we're sad, when we see our brokenness in the world around us, and we wonder how to, how to understand that. We're thankful that you use people like Moses, men who, who make mistakes and consider themselves unworthy. We're thankful to you, Lord, that we have before us in, here in the, the beautiful state of Michigan the prospect of a, of a beautiful summer, three months of, of warmth and uh, beauty, and nature around us. I pray, Lord, that you would cause us, that you would remind us to pray the prayer of Moses and have a heart of wisdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.